0: Hello, and welcome to the Dolby Institute podcast. This is a show about how artists use technology to tell their stories, and I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Well, we're coming to you from Austin, Texas this week. We're here for South by Southwest at Dolby House. We have a great activation here all week long at South by Southwest, where we're showcasing some Dolby innovations and technology, not only in cinema and television, but also in music, gaming, Automotive, and our web development platform, Dolby IO. Up here on our second floor creator space, we're hosting a lot of great conversations with people who are doing really interesting work. Today, I'm in conversation about the future of film festivals with Eugene Hernandez and Jacqueline Lianga. Let's jump right into it. So by way of introducing um, our panelists today, I, I just, I, I'm gonna start by saying, like how I met you, and then let you update us on what's going on currently. Jacqueline, uh, I've known for a long time. I met her when she ran AFI Fest in Los Angeles and was doing a lot of really interesting work on new technology and the, inter- the, the intersection of technology and film and storytelling. And so we got to collaborate on some fun projects between Dolby and uh, the AFI Fest in Los Angeles. So Jacqueline, what's up? Uh, what what are you up to now?
1: So, um, yes, that was really, really great, some of the spaces there. So since then, um, I went to um, Film Independent, was the artistic director there for a while, and I'm currently um, working directly with um, the Berlin Alley, the Berlin International Film Festival. So hoping to bring a little bit of, which just took place in February, um, a bit of the kind of the global point of view on on the future festivals and audiences um, to the conversation. And in between that, I've been doing some work as well in the tech space with... IMDb and Amazon so thank you I'm excited for the conversation.
0: Awesome. Eugene Hernandez uh, I met you when I met you you were the deputy director of programming for the New York Film Festival and we got to work together on the Artist Academy which is a program that I I really love and I understand is going to be making a comeback uh, this year uh, at New York Film Festival and again you know we groove on on programs that are focusing on artist development, filmmaker development, access to technology. So working with you guys on Artist Academy was just a great fit for us. And um, you recently got a new job. You wanna tell us about it?
2: And um, apologies for my voice. I've had really bad allergies here in, um, in Austin. So for those who are listening in on the podcast, eventually um, the voice, my voice is gonna sound a little different. So I've got my, my warm water with some lemon. But yeah, when I met Glenn, I was um, at Lincoln Center. I was there for 12 years. I started IndieWire, and that was the first chapter of my career, 15 years. And then um, 12 years at Lincoln Center, ultimately running the New York Film Festival for three years. Um, And then just joining Sundance as the new director of the festival and public programming. Just started there in November, uh, just in time to kind of observe and kind of start to dig in on this year's this festival that just happened and we're already laying the foundation for the next one. And part of that work and research is traveling to other festivals. So I just spent time with Jacqueline in Berlin um, and now here in in Austin and really getting a sense of, I mean, I think the work that Jack is doing in, in Berlin and the work that Janet and Claudette are doing here kind of gives us a good window into the future of festivals. I'm sure we'll dig into that.
0: Yeah and I should I should note that we did ask Claudette uh if she had time to come and join us for this conversation but you know she's too busy running around introducing understandably. movies understandably uh, yeah. <laughs> and dropping f bombs and uh having a having a great time yeah she's got her plates pretty full I wanted to start just by asking both of you cuz you've been in the film festival ecosystem and this world uh for a long time and I have a vested interest in this cuz I I'm here because I I love film festivals I love South by uh You know, there's so much... This is a time of such great disruption and upheaval in the cinema business, in the TV business, and, of course, that reaches into film festivals as well. And I am curious to kind of know from you guys... I, I see so much magical thinking in the film business and people just wanting it to be 2019 again. And COVID was obviously massively disruptive. I know it had a lot of financial... Uh, implications for film festivals. I see a lot of film festivals just wanting to get back to 2019. And I'm wondering, what opportunities does COVID and this disruption present to really break the model, rethink it? And what should we be trying to do as we come out of this into the next generation? Because we're also, in the context of this is that most of these festivals are undergoing generational leadership change as well. So where should we be heading? Just a softball, easy question to start.
2: You know, it's Sunday at like twelve right now, right? It's it's early.
1: <laughs> um, sure, I will, I will. I will start. I mean, I think one of the things. I mean, one of the big challenges, certainly coming out of the the pandemic, is that you have people in various um, individuals and organizations and nonprofits, um, states in terms of their budgets and finances. And so, I think for film festivals, they're very expensive, and they're expensive for the organizations to mount number one um, they're expensive for people to attend you know I consider myself very privileged that I can often I can go to festivals when I'm working and travel, but there are times when filmmakers their films are accepted they can't afford to spend that money to get on a plane or to pay for a five nights hotel or you know so I think these are really real and fundamental issues um, that that enable a festival to be successful and have that influence and have people there on the ground. And then in terms of the corporate side, that means sponsors are also rethinking you know their budgets um what are they doing with their foundation money and then also kind of in terms of cultural shifts how they want to spend their foundation money do they want to spend it on impact and causes as opposed to just on putting their logo on a step and repeat right or on a cup that people will hold but these are all the kinds of we've gotten used to at festivals for certain kinds of activations on the ground that aren't necessarily engaging and so i think there's a rethinking of engagement that's necessary for all of those groups that attend a film festival and and a rethinking. Thinking of certainly of financial models, you know, I think that's one of the big um, key things. And tied into that is the experience. which I don't know if we want to talk about it now, but I definitely think that, you know, that the experience being unique, festivals being special, and I think um, even for smaller regional festivals, figuring out their niche is really, really important. I think for the big festivals, um, even though Sundance is a really big and impactful, influential festival, it has a niche. It has a very strong point of view. You look to Sundance, it's the start of the year for a certain kind of premium, independent film um, and, and talent discovery that's really really key um, that's quite niche and some festivals try to be everything to everyone um, and you just can't and you can't be every experience for everyone south by southwest is another great example we were talking about last night some of the great screenings you know films you want to see in the paramount like bottoms we were all at
0: bottoms <laughs> last night which yeah. was pretty uh, that's a pretty unhinged movie if you haven't had a chance to see it yet
1: but what a great experience. It was so fantastic to be back in the Paramount, to see it with an audience and have that opportunity, which is then essential. It happens at Sundance, too, for the audience and the industry together to enjoy a film and to start to build that buzz and excitement for a film as it kind of heads out on its journey. So I think there is, there's definitely a very... Um, Key and important role for festivals, and I mean, I mean, certainly we'll see this. This hap- that happened in terms of films with you know everything last year, everywhere all at once. You know, premiering here, and we see where it is today. Um, really exciting, but that comes from a f- that does come from in part a festival launch. People who love the film, the filmmakers, the community coming together to support a film. Um,
0: but and to your point, that also just doesn't come out of a vacuum because the Daniels came up through the Sundance Labs. That, you know, with, you know, their previous film, Swiss Army Man, was a premiere at, at Sundance. It went through that whole development process. So, you know, these, th- these things just don't come out of nowhere. There's a, whole, there's a whole ecosystem and infrastructure that has to support these artists to grow.
2: I mean, I think inherent in your question, Glenn, is part of the answer, which is, we're not going back. It's just not happening. We, we might be able to take some aspects of what festivals were, and I think Jacqueline is talking about it with the experience we have here. How many people work in film festivals particularly? And, okay, and um, how many of you are filmmakers or creating, okay. Um, For those of you who work in film festivals, you're gonna have to figure this out as well, right? Um, And I'm glad to see there are people here who do because that's a hard thing for people to overcome is this notion that we're not going back. We, we struggled with that question at the New York Film Festival the last few years. <clears throat> and it, I'm sure it's something that other festivals are grappling with. But when you look at, like Jacqueline was saying, when you look at the crowds this weekend at the Paramount or you look at the crowds in Berlin just last month, um, the audiences are, are ready to come back but even then, it's not 2019. They're coming back in different ways than they were just three or four years ago.
0: Say more about that. What do you mean? How are they coming back in a different way?
2: I think they're engaging with festivals differently. They're engaging in movie-going in movie going and theaters differently. When I was at Lincoln Center, we also we run 12 festivals, but we also do uh, first-run film programming. And in the time that I was there during and in the well, during the beginning of the pandemic through the more recent phase up until the end of last year, we're just seeing movie-going habits evolving, they're changing. Um, We go to movies differently. We're not necessarily watching fewer movies, but we're engaging with them differently or we want to engage with them differently. And so at an organization like um, the New York Film Festival, uh, or at Film at Lincoln Center, or I see David from the Hamptons Festival, Zach from, from IFP back here. Like, we're just seeing how, how audiences engage differently with, with films and with series. And festivals and organizations, nonprofits, have to figure out how to evolve or adapt to that. And it's, it's happening in real time. So it's not like anything that we're making decisions about now is necessarily the long-term model, but it's like, what are the steps we can take to evolve with our audience. And when we get it right, when South by gets it right, and you can pack a, a, whatever the capacity of the Paramount is, more than a thousand people into a screening like last night at 9.30 for Bottoms, which was an electric screening. It was like watching everything everywhere here a year ago. Um, there's something magic about that. We were talking about it after we saw the movie together and we're talking about wondering how that movie is gonna be released uh, by, by um, the studios involved and the companies involved, will it have a theatrical release because there was something so special about watching that movie with a big crowd um, and really like having that experience together. Now the movie's gonna go further and wider when it's available on Prime, on Amazon, but will the the folks releasing at MGM and Orion uh, make it available theatrically? And if so, um, will audiences have a chance to gather around that movie, especially the younger audience that I think might really click with that movie. So I think in that is also something we're seeing with what festivals are trying to figure out. Um, It's not just gonna be the same model of how the audience engages with the films at festivals.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say there's definitely, there's a specificity I'm finding to audiences and what they want to see and knowing more about what they want to see and that may be a factor of so much more information, access to information on social media, some of the traditional models of communication, like you would arrive at a festival and get the program guide or you know, or some have a, you know, and, and then you would look through People are doing more advanced, uh, I find, um, research. So, for example, in Berlin, um, one of the, the films, um, American films, there was the. It's playing here as well. Um, Roger Ross Williams and Diana, um, Donna Summer's daughter, Brooklyn Sudano's film. And there were people who came. There's afterwards, some of the. I was talking to some of the audience. They're like, Oh, I came here from Hamburg to Berlin, like just for this movie. And like not to see anything else for this movie, and and I certainly felt some of that last night. And I feel that you know at a lot of these screenings, people they know what they want to see, who they want to see, and they want to feel, you know, you know, not to overuse the word, but really like reflect. They're looking for films that they feel like reflect their experiences and their life. They're really tired of just like okay, is this just going to be a movie that either isn't going to be discovery and exciting, or has no connection to me and my experiences. So. That's definitely one thing, and then also how they consume uh, you know um, how, how, how we all consume content and films. I hate saying the word content sometimes, but you know films and, and, and the work of artists is is very different. Some people are they only want to watch it digitally or they want to be able to watch something in Berlin or at Sundance from their house, which it was great that this year there was that you know you're still working through that, sort of managing both the in person screenings yeah. and digital access the timing of that, when you have access, what kind of windows in which you have access to um, to a screening and this is where for the staff, as you mentioned, of film festivals and for filmmakers becomes another, I think one of the big questions of then has to be solved in terms of how film festivals evolve. What is the window you're going to enable someone to screen a movie digitally? Um, and how does that impact sales and distribution? And do sales agents and distributors kind of get on board in conversations with a filmmaker in a festival yeah. to enable that to happen? And then who, st- who makes that happen, staff-wise? But back to budgets, you know?
2: So many segments of, to your point, so many segments of our audience want it to be 2019, and that's part of what we're struggling with. And I I also wonder, on the other side of that, if to what extent the festival experience becomes, or already is, but becomes the dominant communal experience around a film. Um, Not that we wouldn't get people together at our homes with our giant screen TV, our Dolby Atmos sound at home, and have a great communal experience with a smaller group, which I think many of us are doing and the, the early stages of the pandemic sort of forced us to, to kind of rethink what community is around movies. Um, but I wonder to what extent festivals become that communal experience around film, even though some films, some of the films that play here, some of the films that played at Sundance Berlin will have a theatrical, in this country, a theatrical experience, but perhaps not at the scope and scale That perhaps they might have just a few years ago. So I think I think it's it's a greater opportunity for festivals to become that communal experience.
0: Yeah, I want. Or to have a, a whole even list of, of questions where we're already going left but that's that's okay uh i want to ask you that you know ab- about the hybrid model um because some film festivals let's just talk about south by for a second south by was 100 percent virtual for a year and then you know made the decision that's that's not the way we want to serve this up and has gone back to being completely uh, uh you know irl uh, sundance is is pursuing a hybrid model. And I will say, selfishly, uh, congratulations, Sundance is the first film festival in the world to screen available titles in Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos uh, on, their, on their platform. Um, you brought up a lot of interesting questions about rights holders, and do they want them to be available for streaming because of how that could impact a potential sale? But how, do you f- how does that change the experience of what Sundance is if I'm doing it at home and not going to Utah for it?
2: I mean, on the one hand it changes it fundamentally because um for those who were able to experience the festival at home this year outside how many people were not at the sundance film festival in person but were able to experience it outside of park city in a different part of the country um, i think it's meaningful and, and this, is a, this is a we're doing we're deciding this year by year because everything's evolving so what what the ver the version of the festival this year, Sundance Festival 2023, was a little bit different from 2022, which is a little bit different from 2021. So the version of that we're working on now, which we're already um, doing a lot of work on for 2024, will likely look different from 2023. Uh, it's constant evolution. Um, the thing that I keep thinking about, and we're talking about a lot internally, is just that our programmers at Sundance watch 15,000 films to this year come up with 111 features and 64 short films that screened at this year's festival. So they're doing, um, the programmers, the screeners, the, the folks who are involved with watching films uh, for months over the course of the year um, are doing so much work to go out and find what's new and what's what what is exciting about film in this country and around the world Um, and so what are the best ways for us as a festival to showcase that that curation i mean this is what festival this is where festivals really start i mean um, jacqueline Nyanga is one of the most important and um and esteemed curators of film she 's been watching films on the front lines for years going out and finding amazing work um, Any festival that Jacqueline's involved with needs to be able to figure out how to express that curatorial vision and, and, and perspective that she brings that, it's, it's, it, it, it starts there so all of that all of that viewing and I'm sure with Berlin like the thousands of films that, that you all are watching um, you wanna figure out how to give those films the best shot at connecting with an audience. And uh, in, a, in a moment when the marketplace is struggling with how to get those films out to an audience, festivals themselves have to figure out how to connect with audiences as well. And so it's, 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 it's a fundamental question because on the one hand, some companies and, and filmmakers and sales agents would, would much prefer to 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 be in the um, the 2019 mindset because that's much more controllable and and um, you know once you lose control of a film and its windows it makes it harder to to sell a film. On the other hand, I was speaking with um, a, a manager, talent manager here at the festival, who has a film that is not going to mostly. It's a first-time director. It's not going to sell for you know first-time director doesn't have well-known actors, really good film, but doesn't have well-known uh, actors on screen. So it's going to be hard for that film to to find um, a significant acquisitions deal out of this festival. So this manager was telling me that um, they wish there was a, a virtual component to the festival here because it would give more people a chance to see that movie. Um, I think that in the next couple of years that will shake out a little bit. We're in, we're in the kind of most thorny aspects of it right now because we're trying to figure out what, right. what's not going to
0: hurt a particular film,
2: what's not going to the, yeah. hurt their ability to find an audience.
0: And Jacqueline, to your point, I mean, talking about the, the amazing privilege that we all have to come here and be here for several days and watch these films, um, obviously that's the great promise of a hybrid model is that you can, you can have a, a whole new demographic of people and an audience experiencing these films who don't have the resources necessarily to, to make that trip. And so that's really exciting.
1: That is, it is really exciting. The the potential for the, the global reach um, and that certainly is a huge audience I was doing for a project looking at numbers and from some films and, and seeing, you know, their independent films, American independent films nowadays really do, are incredibly successful internationally, um, whether it's um, a film, you know, a comedy like, you know, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2 or, a or a, you know, a family drama like Minari which made a significant amount of, um, you know or their farewell of their of its profits um, globally internationally so I think that those opportunities um, both in terms of digital and also in terms of festivals are, are something that filmmakers have to be mindful of and I think as a result of this as well these changes and sometimes there's high if, if, a, if a filmmaker like in terms of speaking to filmmakers if you know your film is going to be you know, at a at a festival that does have um, an international, or that does have global streaming or even domestic um, streaming available, digital access to films, it's, it's a conversation you have to have. I think to some extent, it changes the kinds of conversations that film teams have to have amongst each other, the producers, and also with the festival, getting ahead of it, because I think what happened is it all happened so, quick, in the pandemic quickly, and then there was some adjusting. And now I think to Eugene's point, I think we also have to accept that we are in a period of change and things are going to change. They're going to change every year and um, one of the things I I found sometimes or lately as we've gone back to festivals is people are saying this isn't like it was or we can't do that anymore I didn't know and things have changed and they are going to continue to change and then that's where I think for festivals the key thing is actually communication and the operations but I'm just thinking, but communication to all of the different constituencies of the changes um, so that everyone can have the, they can have the best possible expectations of what their experience is going to be on the ground, what they will have access to, what they won't have access to, um, and and what that unique experience is, is going to be um, for them at, at you know the films that they've decided to to spend that money on to attend. And I think that is one of, in terms of, why things have changed. People, customers, audiences, we don't want to spend Put, we've already invested so much in our, in our home theater experiences, which is an incredible thing. I certainly did you know, during the pandemic and, and, and have in the past, but now you have to go, to go to a theater to spend on your parking for people with children, on the, the babysitter, and the same thing happens for an in-person festival, for that travel, for all of those bits and pieces. How can once they get to that experience, how can it be elevated? I think
2: just... Sorry, one more thing to add. Please. We're digging in. Go. I think the thing we have to be sure of with any hybrid or virtual model as well is we don't want a film's first stop at a film festival, its first festival to be its last stop in the ecosystem. And that's something that's really important. So, so that's why we does have... Does that
0: happen more if it's if, it, if it's virtual?
2: Well, I think we have to make sure we limit the number of views a film would have. You don't want to hurt a film's chances to get to get out to audiences on digital ultimately, but also the other piece that we need to think about is also our, our art house colleagues. Um, there's this great coalition of, of theater owners, independent theater owners, the Art House Convergence um, that's reforming and has, has recently elected a new board, um, and the organization is uh, supported by Sundance Institute, um, and each of those art houses, those mission-driven art house theaters around the country, is is doing amazing work in their communities to cultivate and nurture and support and create film festivals, film programming in local communities. And we wouldn't want anything that a film festival does. Again, at a, at a film's first stop, we wouldn't want to 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 hurt or jeopardize that film's opportunity to have. Uh, the ability to travel to other parts, to other art houses, to other parts of the country. So it's it's challenging because I think on the one hand we'd rather go back to the way things were. We can't do that. Uh, on the other hand, there's still a lot of friction between one size doesn't fit all. So for certain films at South by, it wouldn't make sense at all to be on a on a virtual platform. For others, like the example I gave, um, for a smaller film that has that doesn't have the big names attached. They're they're looking, it might be the way to help just get a little more attention so that the film doesn't go unnoticed or can be a little more noticed at a festival like this.
1: Yeah, I think that, that film, it's like that experience by film by film, in a way, tailoring, more unique, um, and really looking at what who is who is the audience. We're actually, um, there was a really interesting conversation when we were in Berlin um, that the European film market had with Torino Lab, about, about, they're calling it kind of audience design, and, and they have, um, which is really like audience development, and they were doing these think tanks, and they have public funding, <laughs> which is kind of amazing. We did a whole Saturday you know morning who think yeah. tank about audience. Yeah, and they oh. which we don't have, but to put towards it, but really thinking about how you design an audience, develop an audience for a specific film, and thinking about strategies and models, and what are different kinds of techniques, and so they brought together us and a number of different um, filmmakers, sales agents um, from across Europe um, to talk about this case studies, what's been successful, and I feel like we could use something similar, actually, in the US, considering we don't have the same kind of funding models, because they essentially Need to do, put forth new um, budget proposals. But so just to think about that, back to that, to get back on the point, that specificity of what does an individual film need? It's not a one size fits all, even at a festival solution. What is the theater size? These are things we think about at a festival already, it needs. Is it going to really thrive in a 200 seat theater um, and find the best audience, or does it need a larger? theater, um, you know, a, a larger, a different kind of space, what kind of venue, yeah. so many different kinds of venues. But I think the digital becomes another component. doesn't need a, a, a digital screening or not. What will this film... How can the festival best serve this film's journey?
0: So you brought up sales agents, and Eugene, you were talking about the, the, the filmmaker that you were talking with, um, the producer who has a film here uh, that's seeking acquisition. I, I, I feel like this is was sort of like this is the reality of the ecosystem, but it's, this, it's the uncomfortable thing that we don't often like to talk about, which is the acquisitions market and what's happening over there. Um, and I know this is very obviously, it's important for Sundance and, and its role in, in, in the acquisitions ecosystem, but what are the trends that you're seeing right now in acquisitions out of film festivals and what how much upheaval is that in right now? I mean, I think the upheaval is
2: connected to everything we're talking about. Um, things are moving more slowly. I talked to a number of of um distributors sellers sales agents in berlin for example who are still making decisions and making offers and trying to come to to close deals on films from sundance this was a month after sundance and in berlin um that's still happening now 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 with films from sundance and berlin and now you have a new crop of films from south by so um I think the the work of our friends who are trying to get films out into theaters or onto platforms on the distribution side is certainly not easier because all of us are trying to make sense of how audience, I mean, as audience members, we're trying to make sense of how we want to watch and connect with film in an individual or in a communal way, in a theater or at home. Um, So likewise, People that are, have built businesses around getting those films out are struggling with, or if not struggling, grappling with how to, how to do that meaningfully in a way that, that sustains their business and also is re- responsive to what audiences want. And that's harder to determine, because as we've just been, just been discussing, um, the audience desires, needs, wants. For different kinds of films are different, and it, it depends on the scale of a film. Sometimes you want to spend the money, the you want to invest the time, the money, and the and uh, the resources into having a communal experience with a whole bunch of people um, in a movie theater. And sometimes you want to have that more micro experience with the the home theater, the Dolby Atmos, the 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 you know your your drinks and food at home. And sometimes you want to watch a movie alone. Um, on a device. Yes, sometimes on a phone, sometimes on a, on a larger screen, but um, these, are, these are problems and challenges that filmmaking and film distribution has, has never really had to, 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 to deal with in the way that they are right now in the history of, of cinema. And then artists are responding to that and making work um, differently and enhancing the work differently depending on those experiences. Right. I mean, look at sound, look at the conversations we've had at the New York Film Festival with with Dolby around sound and how you can you can you can design the sound. I'm learning about this from from Glenn and the conversations we've had over many years at the festival, um, watching a film like Roma, as we did at the festival and the work that was done um, around the sound experience of that movie at the Dolby Theater and in New York is, is, is different from um, the experience of watching it in a different device. Um, it's no less significant, but it's just a different experience. So, so there's a lot more pressure being put on the filmmaker too to, to attune, um, for lack of a better word, the experience of a film to these different platforms. Um, so it gives audiences a lot of opportunity, but it also makes the acquisitions market um, more challenging. But I think also we have to be patient um, there are still films from Sundance being acquired. There are still films from Berlin, Finding Homes. There will be films from South By. It doesn't happen in the, in the ways that we used to read about where it happens overnight. It takes well, time. Well, I think people
0: get distracted by all these headlines about $20 million deals that happen to a handful, a small handful of small films in Sundance, Always. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's take South By and Sundance off the table for a moment. Who do you think is actually getting it right? Who's experimenting, who's doing interesting stuff out there in the film festival world uh, that's really kind of pushing this conversation forward?
1: one of the things i think is interesting has been uh, and i thought was quite smart was um actually tribeca's move into june into that time slot moving away out of that april you know slot where they were um you know sort of in at the s- similar time as south by now they've sort of owned this sort of independent films in the summer they also for um on the xr side um pieces that play here or they can play some of those they can premiere some new pieces there's kind of in, in terms of the US there hasn't been a really strong um, since the you know we lost the Los Angeles um, International Film Festival it hasn't been a strong independent a festival summer film
0: festival a right. summer,
1: yeah. yeah a great summer film festival and there are a lot of which is a great time for independent film and especially for documentaries films to launch and certainly so that I think is great and, and that's the thing for festivals too that can be that challenge is you know films aren't just finished all on a a calendar not all like oh we finished in in October yeah exactly in time to make it to 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 Sundance for example or even to apply or or Berlin or you know or Cannes and that's just the the calendar isn't so set for a filmmaker the team the artists are just working with the schedule they have they have and whether it's a budget issue or creative issue, and that is the other thing was you we were talking about earlier, being there for. I think it is really important for festivals to be there for as much as they can, the life of, um, the life of a, a film um, once it so that once a film launches at a festival, it's not just okay. Bye, thanks for coming. How do we? And I think that's one of the questions that certainly. Um, I know we sort of took Sundance off the table, not Sundance so much, but certainly Art House Convergence is trying and starting to talk through just prior to the pandemic. How exactly do you maybe, you know, kind of have how can festivals work together, actually, more collaboratively? I think that's really key. Um, and that is something I'm seeing a little bit of. Like, there were a lot of conversations, whether it was between festivals like, a, you know, San Francisco and Seattle, you know, connecting. Seattle, actually, Film Festival is doing actually quite a bit. I, I really love they've pivoted really strongly um, to digital, but offerings and also bringing context. They have been doing a lot of really actually great um, Beth Barrett, who's over there, is fantastic. Doing a lot of really great kind of educational, I don't want to necessarily call it, but they are. Some of them are educational, bringing in, like professors, bringing in academics, filmmakers to talk about cinema. And that's where I also think the audience in this, I think, comes to them knowing what they want to see is far more sophisticated now, in a way, (laughs) actually because of the access to information. And so, as a festival, you have to be aware of that and you have to um, you have to respect that and, and so that if they are going to watch which is what is also great about Dolby Atmos, if they do decide to watch their film at home and create their own festival experience they want it to look they want it to look good. They want it to look great. The filmmaker wants that. The audience wants that. So that is, becomes the other challenge of the festival. How do you create, um, if you do have digital options, how do you create the, the opportunity for your audience to have that best possible experience at the film in their home, um, they, sort of that home festival experience? Yeah. I mean, the ones I
2: think about are, those are great examples, and I think um, I'll name off a few, and then I'll sort of try to detail why. Um the ones I'm looking to, like Black Star, I think is oh, yeah, is Blackstar. a leading um is just a leading a is a beacon. Um it's 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 a festival that's a brand, um an amazing magazine, uh, amazing programming. What Mayori is doing um with Black Star, I think as a as a starting point, um, but also as a way to engage with um with cinema is really exciting. Um I think Overlook is a really interesting, again, interesting model, very specific niche, um, and it's just really fun and exciting. I think True False in Missouri, um, doing really interesting work, uh, just had their 20th anniversary, and you know, a festival that started as a micro-cinema in a storefront that moved into the old Coca-Cola bottling plant, two screens and a cafe and a bar, that has become a 20-year kind of stalwart documentary film festival um, I think those are all interesting to me and I think the thing that I think about a lot is um, we need in order to have a a sustainable and healthy ecosystem for film culture in this country right now we need to support and celebrate film festivals of all shapes and sizes in all parts of the country um, that said I think coming from New York where I just was Uh, My friends at Lincoln Center produce and curate and host a dozen film festivals, as I mentioned, each year. And I think they're doing amazing work of tailoring each of those film festivals. People might know the New York Film Festival and New Directors New Films. But um, their Rendezvous with French Cinema Festival that just ends this weekend, Um, a festival of French film, the African Film Festival in the spring. Um, There are a dozen film festivals at this one institution in, in New York that are tailored to specific Audiences and are are kind of supporting an entire ecosystem of of movie going and cinema culture in one particular city. And some of those film festivals travel and tour um, to other parts of the country as well, um, in partnership with other organizations. And I think, to Jacqueline's point, that those are some of the things we have to think about too: relationships, partnerships.
1: To um, that point, actually, American Cinematheque in Los Angeles has been doing a really good job as well of, of pivoting. You know, they their um, their formerly their main Hollywood venue, the Egyptian Theater, is now owned by Netflix. Netflix, right? And so they have focused, refocused, but they knew they they had a core audience there um, during AFI Fest. We, that was one of our that was our main venue when I was there like, for for eight years. One of our main venues, in addition to the the TCL Chinese Theater, and so they have actually moved into the smaller theater, the Los three in Los Feliz, and are doing real... And the flexibility of those small theaters then enables them to take chances. They're like, oh, we can take a risk now and some yeah. chances. And so there's some really great um, programming now that caters to this um, East Hollywood audience um, that I love. And then the Arrow, which is on the west side, um, you're a new part of town, <laughs> is um, is this... But it's is the, is very much... Um, and I don't want to say... I, but it kind of is now sort of a, an older Hollywood audience in a way but an, an audience where they're able to get filmmakers, master filmmakers or someone like P.T. Anderson come in and present films that he loves um, do 35 millimeter prints of and um, of, you know, 70 millimeter prints of films. So classic and legacy programming there, um, really, tributes. They've really done a great job and rebranded as well visually. And True Falls, that reminded me, they, I completely forgot about them. Great example, during the pandemic when they couldn't have the festival, they actually built this, they mailed out to pass holders this great, did you get one of these chests? They did this big box chest um, that transported you and you opened it up and Back to the specificity of film, they create a little package for each of the films you're going to watch with your past. So there would be like an art object and a story. Um, Here's how you could set up your screen. It was really magical. So I think there is that to thinking about For those audiences that are going to watch um, films at home, both for the filmmaker and the festivals, how can you bring them into the story of the film in some way?
0: That's a great idea. I was expecting you guys to kind of talk about broad overall trends, but it seems like what you're really leading to is like, it's about the specificity. It's about that. It's about hooking the audience and really giving them something
2: to think about. Yeah, and I think even in... How many folks here live in Austin year-round? You don't need me to tell you, but I'll shout them out in case... Uh, I mean, I think it deserves shouting out that the Austin Film Society is like a film festival year-round. And um, for folks who live here in Austin, uh, you have amazing film series and programs and festivals and events and um, one-night-only kinds of programming. I mean, the work that, that Linklater and his... Uh, inspired through the austin film society more than 40 years ago is is fundamental to the the film culture in the city as well as the austin film festival the queer festival i mean there's there's so many tangents we could go into but i think it is very bespoke and niche you know we could do a a conversation just
1: draft house again in terms of that specificity of like audience and kind of film and experience
2: And and we could do a whole conversation about the queer festival circuit and the work that so many queer festivals have done to evolve and adapt to the changing needs of, of the queer community at a time when media representation is very different from when festival started and, and we started going to them uh, at, at an earlier stage of our lives as we were coming out and coming in, into our own as well. And
0: that's a great example of a community that's evolving and has very different needs yes. uh, than, than the community that you and I grew up with. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got some great, I'm sure, very uh, interesting questions coming from, uh, uh, to, to come from a lot of film festival people in the audience and filmmakers. We'll start with Sonny. Do you have a, do you have a microphone? Let's come right over here and then I'll come to you.
3: Hi. So, uh, first of all, thank you all for being here.
0: Uh, as a quick question, has, in order to better service of filmmakers uh, and get signals about, hey, what you're doing is working or not, uh, one of the things I heard you mention was that, you know, when you go digital, how many showings do you have? Like how many virtual tickets? Have you ever thought of allowing people to bid up the value? So start at, I don't know, 20 bucks, something, pick your number, and they say, hey, it's Search just... Search pricing. Uh, not surge pricing in the sense of that, but in the idea of okay, if this thing went to fifty or sixty from twenty, that's a pretty strong signal. If it stays at twenty, different signal. So what it can do is it can really say, hey, has anyone experimented with pricing? That's, that's interesting, and that could be an interesting signal to an acquisitions person, like, oh, this movie really got bit up.
1: TIFF did Toronto. Oh, TIFF. Did yeah, that? they did. They did. They did it. Was it that was last year? Yeah, people didn't like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the audience didn't like it. The filmmakers didn't like it. Or nobody liked it.
1: <laughs> I'll say, <laughs> you know. I'm just. I think it's really. It's. It's one of those things. And I think it's. Is. And it's. This conversation is when you're dealing with kind of um, film art craft as a commodity, you have these sort of two sides to it, especially at a festival where you have the, you've got the the industry, the you've got the operations, the audience coming, the event happening, and then you have the artists and you also have at a festival, you don't, um, you're presenting the film as an organization and you're not making money off of the film directly. So you're not a distributor, obviously. So I think it can be a real delicate as you think about like setting as you're setting pricing and free tickets, it ends up having to be a real kind of three sixty conversation between the filmmaker, the sales agent, um if they have one, the distributor, if they have one, the producers. So it's hard to make that work. It's a good idea for some films, but it's hard to make that a blanket um, policy for every single movie.
2: I mean, Jacqueline ran a festival that adopted a, a free model. Um, and I think I think that I mean, it's to your it's to your point, actually, like, The burden is on festivals to really think about how to how to create a sustainable model for the festival at a lot of different price points um serving a a donor base that might be able to to pay a higher price um for either access or for an experience that 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 they want to have and they might be able to have and that experience being able to support and sustain the work of the organization itself but even at the new york film festival we have events and evenings and experiences that are at a higher price point but this past year when i was there we had more free events and for more free screenings than we've ever had certainly not as many as i think and and i think what jacqueline and her colleagues did at afi fest was also very inspiring to try to figure out how to create a free model that could work within a paid model as well um, to to give audiences an opportunity to experience that festival the last thing we want is a festival experience that we design that is entirely elitist and unattainable and available to to a mass audience and how are we ever gonna have like younger folks or folks of color or folks that wouldn't necessarily feel invited to a film festival have an opportunity to check it out if we don't really think about those different models of pricing and also access
4: let's go to your question fantastic conversation. Um, I program a tiny festival in a tiny country called St. Vincent and the Grenadines and, you know, not too long ago, we didn't even have movie theaters, so I just wanted to know your thoughts on where a festival like ours fits into the ecosystem and your thoughts on our future, you know, in a place where the concept of film festival is completely foreign.
1: Well, I mean, that sounds like a, a huge opportunity, you know. I I think, um, and one of the things when we were talking about true false and some of the smaller festivals, another small festival like that that is very influential and impacts the community um, is Telluride, you know, for example. Yeah. And th- these are these festivals where they real you I think re- building that strong connection within the community. Becomes really key, you know, and and establish and that's where find those art lovers, um, those those people in the community who love um, food, who love music, and and bring them into the fold, whether it's kind of on your board as as custom, you know, as partners for screenings, and they're the ones that are going to really build um, that that festival. They're, they're your audience, which I'm sure you know. I think that's that the starting point, and then the specificity of, of what your mission is as a festival, the the kind of filmmakers you want to support and the kind of experience that you're creating um, you know it could just it, if whether I don't know much about the festival I would love to but you know who who who's it for in terms of your presentation is it going to be discovery is it going to be classics um bologna for example great amazing classic like there's a there's a real I think um, a real value to to finding that that niche as a, a small festival
2: yeah I mean the first thing I think about my question to you to answer your question is, tell me about your audience. I mean, what, what did you, how many years has the festival been going on?
4: So we started in 2019. We had a in-person festival and then COVID hit. And That's a tough we, time to start a film festival. Yeah. <laughs> And then we went to, like, a so our festival is community-based, so we don't even use theaters. We just, you know, put up a projector, and um, it's a free model as well because we're really trying to build up the culture because people just really don't have that culture of going to festivals and so on. So our festival is Caribbean films and films from the Caribbean diaspora. And with our hybrid model, we've seen that, you know, we got a lot of our viewers are from the Caribbean and the diaspora not, or our local audience we don't get the numbers that we've been wanting. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a challenge for us. Yeah.
3: Hi there. Um, as you'll probably work out very quickly I'm from Europe where we have a very different model of film festivals. And, and I feel for you guys because you're running under pure capitalism so you don't get to do what we do in Europe which is have a lot of state-sponsored film festivals. So I'm just wondering how many people here know how much it costs a filmmaker to be accredited for the Cannes Film Festival. Any ideas? It's free. Obviously you have to prove you're a filmmaker. You have to send them a CV and so on. I arrived here and found it's $800. How can I, as a small filmmaker making tiny films, afford that. So I'm going around without a badge. I'm pretty good at ducking and diving and getting in places, but that's a huge hurdle to a filmmaker. You know, and I just think you've got to be more filmmaker friendly before you start wondering about how do we get an audience in? I think you've got to get the cross-pollination that comes from bringing filmmakers in. Yeah.
0: It's a great point and we could do an hour just on this, but any any she just said, quick thoughts about what we could be doing in, 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 in for more filmmaker support
2: i mean i'm not going to speak to the specifics of south by and their approach there's there's so many festivals there's so many markets and i think what you're what you're in, in your question in your comments what you're showing is that you have to be ingenious and creative and you have to be um, dogged in your pursuit of trying to figure out what the right path is going to be for you. Um, I think that uh, you can have a great experience at South by with a badge. You can have a great experience without a badge. Same at Sundance and many other festivals. It depends on what level of experience you're trying to have and what, um, what you can afford. It's a different model to your point, very different model in the U S versus versus Europe. Um, But there's, there's such a wide array of, of festivals here, so I wouldn't want to paint them all with one brush even here in the in the States, because there's there's certainly so many festival opportunities here, um, especially in local communities, I think that do a great job of, of supporting um, local filmmakers in that specific community. Um, festivals are really expensive in this country to produce and put on, this one in particular. Um, it's really challenging so I, I, I take your question very seriously because I think it's something that as festival organizers we think about a lot is uh, how to figure out how to to make space for filmmakers at all stages not just the ones that can afford the badge but ones that um, that that are still kind of kind of at an early stage yeah, of their career
1: exactly and I think you know one of the things you know, as you talked about we talked about it as well. It's like the the public support that there is in Europe, and also then we're going to you know as the practicality, things like venue size. You know, it also like a festival like can and and certainly Venice they have huge venues that some some of them have five thousand seats. Um, and so that, that enables them to, to carve out, you know, for festival, you know, sections you already do as a festival organizer. So that determines where and how many, you know, you can make available for free. But certainly, I think, again, as Eugene said, it's something that I think festivals are mindful all the time. And I, and I think that filmmakers and, and people who love, who curate festivals and Produce festivals and sport festivals, everyone is in the business of loving film there, there's, there's,
0: so, there's so much interesting that you put on the table right there i mean you know i 'm thinking about our friends in San Francisco yeah. who are you know maybe losing the Castro theater yeah. we don 't know uh, you know sF film had a you know venue that just fell through so it's like the access you know the 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 theater ecosystem is uh, is, is undergoing yeah, it's it, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a
2: point i 'm really glad uh, you made, um, sir, because I think that uh, for those who are here and also those who are listening to the conversation, there's not a one-size-fits-all, and it's going to be a matter of filmmakers trying to find the right, the right network of festivals, the right f- network of markets, because you're also talking about markets, where you're, you're taking a film to a market to try to sell it. So um, you have to really think creatively, like this gentleman, and try to figure out how to develop a path for yourself as a filmmaker that um, may not be the same path as as another filmmaker. Uh, You may not want to apply to the same festivals, you may need to find a different path of festivals and markets to put together that is sustainable for you. And I think that's a really
0: important point that you made. One final quick question, you're up. Thank you so much. My name is Angelina McCluskey and I'm a filmmaker here from Philly, so I was so excited when you said Black Star uh, because I know Maori from that festival when it was Black Lily and it was just for women, and so um, thank you for that, but um, I would really love to become a programmer. I think I'd be really great at it. Um, What kind of experience or background do you look for when you're thinking of hiring or bringing on new programmers?
2: I'm going to put in a plug and then Jacqueline's the best person to answer this question um, because she's uh, an A quality top level programmer, but also she has um, nurtured and supported and brought up new programmers. But, (laughs) but, but I think that um, film at Lincoln center has a program they just announced, which is a programming fellowship um, to help nurture and support the next generation of curators. Um, I've done a lot of panels over many years, like thirty years. Um, the number of times I've heard that question is very rare, <laughs> where someone has said, "I actually want to be a programmer. I want to be uh, in festivals." It's 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 usually. I want to make a film. I want to write. How, how do I how do I get my script into hand? So thank you for asking that question because I'm sure other people have that question as well. Um, so I would say look into that fellowship at Lincoln Center. I think they're still taking applications. Um, there might be other similar programs that I'm not familiar with. Um, Jacqueline, if you know of any of them, um, but I'm going to think about that. Uh, but but I would say start with that, uh, that program and, and then I would say the only other plug I would say is maybe uh, volunteer at festivals if you can. If you, I know it's expensive, uh, to to try to find the time to to volunteer alongside like doing sustainable work to to sustain yourself. But um, but a path towards um, getting into that side of things could be volunteering or 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 getting some work as a screener for uh, a film festival. But I don't know. What do you think is the right?
1: Yeah, I think that that is um, that is definitely key. I mean, I think one of the It's been evolving quite a bit. I think that program is great. Um, Outfest actually has a really great um, program right now for programmers and more festivals are starting to um, put together, um, realizing that it's kind of like curation in the art world in a similar way um, in terms of there's a definitely a threshold of a certain number of films that ideally that you've watched or that you, you're able to watch a variety of kinds of films or you build an expertise in research or in a specific region. Um, but that's not necessary. It depends on the festival that you want to work for. So I would say, you know, if you spend some time before you volunteer for a festival, looking at some different festival programs. A lot, most of them have their archive or history of programs available online. And, and this also speaks a bit to the, the question the gentleman before had because not every film is right for every festival I mean that's just kind of fundamentally it doesn't mean that your film is not good or isn't going to find an audience if it doesn't get into a festival there are so many incredible films sadly that sometimes don't make it we've had to say we can't program because there are so many other factors you have a limited number of venues you have a limited number of slots it becomes related you're also sometimes trying to tell a story or a theme or your your you're building a story with a festival so you have to take that into account as well Um, and so as a programmer that's another thing to find um, other individuals like in any industry who you feel you might have an affinity with especially as you're looking for opportunities to grow and for mentorship so take a look at festival programs see if you see if you know some of those films try to Again, you can catch films. I love going on to whether it's kind of Roku or Prime and doing searches. Is there is the film available to screen even on Vimeo or on YouTube, especially shorts? See where you can find some films that you really like and find and volunteer. Volunteer um, to screen specifically. Say that you'd like to screen with the programming team. And you know programming teams are often quite lean <laughs> as all the people, festival teams are quite lean. And so, you know, if you become a valued programmer, um, there can be an opportunity if you're able to go even for a couple of days to meet the programming team, um, to be at the festival for a bit, and it it really, I think, I mean, I start as a volunteer as well. You start by volunteering, you watch hundreds of movies, um, you know, you watch maybe a thousand movies in a year, you have periods of time where you're just watching movies, 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 and then you have conversations and start to develop that critical thinking, and that's also something around cinema you can do with other filmmakers it definitely found you know filmmakers make great um, programmers and other writers if you have a friend or group of friends who love movies start talking with them about movies more because I find even just at at this point in my life that helps me me be a better programmer Mm -hmm. having those conversations which is one of the other key aspects of a festival and use your time here at a festival to actually talk about the films in detail with people, like why you liked it, why you didn't like it, um, why did they like it? Because we're, we don't all like the same films and that's not a bad thing. There are a lot of different kinds of experiences, which is back to, again, that's sort of the specificity and understanding what is it in this content, what is it in this film, and this story that's making it resonate for me or for my friend um, when I don't like it and they love it. So starting to really think about um, films, I think, is really, really key in that kind of a, a critical way outside of just watching the film and, and you enjoyed it. So starting to bring that mindset, I think, is really key, the volunteering. And then certainly, you know, if there is um, where you live, if there's a venue that a lot of venues are looking and open to, to programming coming in, like perhaps there's a museum space or a theater that, to whom you could offer your programming services and say, you know what, I would there's these three films I loved, I'd love to show them start your own program, you know, and and reach out and offer to program them. Reach out to the filmmakers. There's often contact information in program guides online. You can email them and say, I'd love to show your film. And to our point earlier, not all films are getting acquired and they want an audience. You know, when you're a filmmaker, you want your film to be seen. So I think there are some things you can do without a festival, and then some things as you're learning as well, and and building relationships really um, with programmers that can help you succeed. I hope that was helpful.
0: <laughs> That's great. Uh, I could do this all day long, but I know you both have commitments that you I have know, to I get off too, so uh, we, we, I want to get you out of here. Uh, I really want to thank Eugene and Jacqueline for coming in and talking with us today about the Future Film Festival. It's always good to sit down oh, and you.
1: Oh, thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Glenn. Yeah, thank you, very thank much, you for Goldie. inviting me. <laughs>
0: Special thanks once again to Eugene Hernandez and Jacqueline Lianga for joining us for that fun conversation about the future of film festivals. Until next time, thanks for joining us. This is the Dolby Institute podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry with additional editing by Matt Nixon. And our production coordinator is Sunny Chen. Thanks for listening.